You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Every news station, every radio report, every newspaper in your life and in my life, there is good news and there's bad news. If we were to ask you, well, something great going on in your life, you'd say, oh, this, this, and this. Something bad going on in your life, well, this, this, and this. There's good news and there's bad news all throughout our life. And it's really always gonna be like that until the believer in Christ steps into heaven and then there's all good news. And that's gonna be a great day. But where we are right now, there's good news and there's bad news. So let me ask you a question. Little crowd participation, Sienna, Cypress, downtown, Loop, digital family. Would you prefer to have good news first, then the bad news, or would you prefer to have the bad news first and then the good news, okay? So here's what we're gonna do. First of all, show of hands, everybody participating. If you would rather hear the bad news first and then get the good news, raise your hand. Bad news first, people, then the good news. All right, good, good. Now the folks that wanna have the good news first and then have it ruined by the bad news. Very few, very few. Well, the statistics actually work out that 78% of people would prefer the bad news and then get the good news. I think it's kind of like if I survive the bad news, then I could be encouraged by the good news. But if I get the good news first, I'm like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Well, Paul knew how we would be wired. God knew how we would be wired. And he's going to give us some bad news. And then we're going to get some really good news. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to get us ready for the good news by giving us the bad news. You don't know how wonderful it is to be rescued until you feel like you're really going underneath water. You don't feel like it's so awesome to have a lifeboat until you understand your raft is sinking. And so Paul's going to give us bad news And then he's going to give us good news. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to give it to us in Romans 1, 2, and 3. And we're going to be over this in the next couple of weeks. Romans 1, he's going to talk to the Gentiles. Romans 2, he's going to talk to the Jews. And Romans 3, he's going to talk to everyone. He's going to say, Gentiles, you're filled with sin. Jews, you're filled with sin. And everybody is filled with sin. So here's how it's going to work if you want to think about it in a different way. Romans 1 is talking to the prodigal son. Romans 2 is talking to the prodigal son's older brother. And Romans 3 is talking to the whole family. That'd be another way to look at it. Romans 3, chapter chapter 3, verse 21, you know the verse, it's kind of a famous verse. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the free gift of salvation is through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's gonna build towards that. So we're gonna have to go through this valley of sin, if you will. We're gonna have to look at it and really inspect it and understand it. And it's gonna help us. Now, here's what I want you to know as well. These dark times, if you will, this bad news, if you will, is sandwiched between two amazing verses. Romans chapter one, verse seven, we've already covered. It says, loved by God. To all who are in Rome, loved by God. So you're loved by God. I'm loved by God. Romans chapter two, verse four says, and the kindness of God leads us to repentance. So when we talk about these sins at the end of Romans chapter one, it's in between the love of God and the kindness of God so that we can realize our sin and be grateful for our savior. You don't appreciate the savior until you appreciate the sin. You don't appreciate the lifeboat until you realize that the ship is sinking. Warren Wiersbe puts it like this, the theme of Romans is righteousness, but Paul has to begin with unrighteousness of man for us to fully understand it. So look in your Bible in Romans chapter one, verse 18 through 20 is what we're gonna jump out with. 
And we're gonna look at this and then we're gonna make it all the way to about verse 25. And we're gonna get this uh, in our minds and our hearts with some bad news, but don't worry, there's gonna be some good news coming as we move along. Verse 18 says this, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness, all godlessness, not godliness, all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let's actually stop with just that one verse. God's wrath is revealed, okay? This isn't the wrath of God on judgment day. Yes, that's true, and that will be there as well. It's the wrath of God today. What's the wrath of God look like today? The wrath of God is God saying, fine, you guys choosing sin, there's gonna be consequences of it. So the worst thing that can happen in your life or my life is for God to leave you alone. Do you know that? That's the worst thing that can happen in your life. When you say, God, I'm done with you. If he responds with, well, I'm done with you too, that's the worst moment you could ever have in life. You do not want God out of your business. What is hell? Hell is the removal of the presence of God. And so he says, the wrath of God, as we have kicked God out of society, as we've kicked God out of the world, as we've kicked God out of our, even aspects of our own lives, then we look and we go, why is everything such a mess? It's because the wrath of God is being revealed as we've said, we don't want you. And he's taken a step back and said, okay, you guys take it from here. And it doesn't work like it needs to work. Now he goes further and he says, the wrath of God is revealed. Right before that, he says, the righteousness in verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now the wrath of God is revealed uh, against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. So he's not going against people, against our sin, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now that suppress the tr truth is your first blank. I hope you'll take your listening guide. Everybody grab your listening guide, all campuses, grab it, take a look at it. I put a whole lot of information on it, okay? I've got 18 points that you do not have to fill out a blank for. So I want you on the count of three, everybody look at your listening guide and then on the count of three, we're all gonna go, whoa, okay? So here we go, one, two, three. Whoa, okay. The first blank is suppressing of God's truth. How do we get to where we are? How do we get here? What does sin do? The first thing is he says the wrath of God is revealed because of the suppressing of God's truth. Have you ever taken a beach ball and tried to stuff it underwater in the pool? What happens? It pops back up. You ever try to sit on a float and you try to get on the kickboard and sit on the float and it pops out and it shoots back up? That's what this Greek word is getting at. Now, it's not the Greek word for breach ball, but it's suppressing the truth, holding something down that's gonna pop back up. You've got to literally try and desire. So he's saying the wrath of God is revealed because the first thing of sin is this, is suppressing truth. It's holding it down. So what is sin? When we talk about sin, big, fancy theological word, I mean, is it more than just bank robbery and murder? I mean, and everything else is just, well, I, I kind of like to do these things. No, sin is suppressing of God's truth. Here's the way Wayne Grudem defines it. Sin is a failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, and nature. First John chapter three, verse four, I'll give you a Bible verse on what is sin. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So when we see lawlessness in our society, our lawlessness in our heart to the law of God or the laws of the land, we can know that that is sin. It says in James chapter four, verse 17, to him who knows what is right and does not do it, 
To him, this is sin. So it's a sin of omission, right? He knows what's right and doesn't do it, that's sin. Now, there's other things we choose to do that that's sin as well. So we can choose sin or choosing not to do something can be sin as well. I put in your listening guide, our first woe moment, eight terms for sin from Dr. Erickson in his book called Christian Theology, which I'm sure all of you are like, yeah, I totally read that last week. I got that on my shelf. How'd you know that was on my bedside? Well, here it is, eight things, in case you didn't get to the chapter that is on page 586. Um, we've got this here for us. I want you to get these things though. What is sin? If sin is missing the mark, you heard that before as a description of sin? It's found 600 times in the Bible in Hebrew, missing the mark. Now here's the deal. It's not an accidental missing the mark. Oh, I aimed and I missed. Oops. It is a deliberate missing the mark. See the difference? I'm choosing to miss the mark. I know what God's desire is. I know what obedience is. I'm choosing to go there. I'm going to aim here instead. So missing the mark is one. Unrighteousness, easy, absence of righteousness. Transgression, number three, to cross over or pass by. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. What is trespassing? Trespassing is crossing the property line onto land you shouldn't be on. What is sin? Crossing the property line off God's property onto land we shouldn't be on. Forgive us, Lord, our trespasses and forgive those who have trespassed against us. So it's transgressions, a lack of integrity to fulfill the standard. Rebellion is disobedience. Treachery is a breach of trust. Perversion, these are all biblical words used. Perversion is to bend or to twist something. An abomination is particularly re reprehensible to God. It's an abomination to God. So we have these terms for sin, and it says that he has suppressed the truth and the wrath of God has come and we get what we get when we suppress the truth instead of walking with the truth. The ship, bad news, the ship is sinking. It's sinking when we walk in sin. It's a sinking ship and we without Jesus Christ are sinking people. We need the Savior Jesus Christ to save our souls and to make a difference in our life. It was April 14th, 1912. Frederick Fleet spotted an iceberg dead ahead, and then the iceberg struck the Titanic on the starboard, the right side. That happened at 11.40 p.m. At 11.50 p.m., water had poured in and risen to 14 feet in the front part of the ship, so it began to dip down. The captain was told that the ship could only stay afloat for a few more hours, and he gave the order and he called for help over the radio. They uncovered the lifeboats and they found that there was only half the capacity of the number of people were available in the lifeboats. And the ship, the Titanic that sits behind me, even in this picture right here, the wreckage of it, they began to fill the lifeboats. We're being loaded with women and children first at 12.25 a.m. after midnight. The first lifeboat was safely lowered at 12.45 a.m., 20 minutes later. It could carry 65 people, but there was only 28 on board, and they lowered it. The last lifeboat left the ship, and there was still 1,500 people on the back section of the ship, 
as the Titanic's deck began to lean steeper and steeper and steeper and steeper. Have you seen the movie? Remember that part? And then it just drops into the ocean. And the last radio message sent by the captain was at 2.17 a.m., which he declared every man for himself. And at 2.20, the back of the boat dropped into the water. Sunk. Bad, bad news. And sin and humanity with suppressing the truth of God is a sinking Titanic. But no, we're unsinkable. It'll never happen to me or to us. Or Sin takes us down. I want you to feel the cold, icy night in the water. Sin takes us down. So how did we get to this place of choosing sin? Look at verse 19. It's going to talk about creation. Notice how many times you're going to see creation. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. That's creation. Verse 20, for power, for his individual, invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Underline that. Being understood through what he has made. God's a creationist. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor show Him gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts became darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Here's how we ended up in this place of sin. Number one is the suppression of truth. Number two is the negation of creation the negation of creation. Now, we believe in science. We trust in science. Science is great. We need science. But what science has done is it said there is no creation. It's evolution that is the number one thing. Now, it's interesting. Why would the enemy, why would the the devil use that? Because if you remove creation, you've removed accountability. And so when you have just man's at the top, then man's at the top. And so I just want you to know, you're not a cosmic accident. See, what evolution does is man is created by time and chance, so you're only accountable to self and to society, and it's about survival to the fittest, and self and society define morality. Where creation is created in the image of God, you're special, you're a fingerprint of God, you're God's poem. You are one made and special by God and you have a purpose in your life and that brings accountability to God. And then instead of survival of the fittest, this crazy things happen in Christianity. We are not just survival, we're not survival of the fittest, we are to care for the weak because we've been created by God and we realize that the weak are actually in the image of God as well. So we care for them and we love them. And then God defines morality. Let me put it another way. Evolution brings man's pride. We're the top of the chain. You ever notice with evolution, we're always talking about what we were. Well, what are we going to become next? We're just mid-path, right? Well, no, we're not. We're the top of the heap. Well, maybe we aren't, right? Just a tadpole on a journey, buddy. Just a monkey turned into a man. 
And so man's pride swells that we're the top of the heap and we're the number one thing. And that man's pride turns into man's will and man's will turns into man's immorality because we wanna do what we wanna do. Where creation turns into man's gratitude to God, we'll see in just a second. Man's gratitude, which surrenders to God's will for his life, which surrenders and says, I want you to use me, God, and be glorified through me because I belong to you and I'm just passing through and I wanna make a difference for all of eternity. How amazing is that? And the first thing we see here is the negation of creation because it removes accountability. So now I don't have to be accountable to God. And this word says here, this passage, I said, it's revealed in creation. You walk out this afternoon, you look up at that big burning sun, 93 million miles away, process it with your eye to put it into your brain, to then walk with your feet, to get into your car that's parked off campus after you get on the shuttle bus. And then you go uh, to do all that and you get there and you process all those things and go, man, ah, we were so lucky. You ever watch a sunset and go, happenstance. How are man and Mars the same? It takes more faith to believe in all that than it does to believe that God loves you and created you. And so the creation, it reveals, it's obvious. It says that every man is without excuse. So negating of creation, negation of creation. And then secondly, it says the negation in verse 22, verse 21, for the, although they knew God, not a personal relationship, but they, they could see him in creation. They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. The negation of gratitude to God. They were not grateful to God. Why should we be grateful to God if it's just a chance that we got here? Gratitude to God. Instead, they say, they don't have it. And that gratitude, that lack of gratitude turns into idolatry because gratitude is something that, that comes from a humble heart. I got to go to Boston this past weekend over Labor Day. And uh, part of the time we went to, to Harvard and we went to the Harvard bookstore. And I'll tell you a little bit more about my Boston trip in a minute too. But we went to the Harvard bookstore and three floors of, of all sorts of books that you could purchase at this Harvard bookstore for your, your classwork and all that. The theme of Harvard when you walk in is veritas, which means truth. But man, the books on the front table were had nothing to do with truth. And all throughout the whole store, it's just this. You could be this, and you could be that, and you could do that, and you could do this. So I asked this guy, and I said, do y'all have any Christian books here? I wasn't like trying to be snarky. You know, I just made sure he saw my unashamed bracelet, you know, as I said it. But I said, he was a super nice guy. He said, yeah, up on the third floor, if you go back towards the back, and you go to the left, and you get right here on shelf three in like from one millimeter to five millimeters, you'll find the, you know, the Christian books are there. And so I go up there, it's more than that, of course, but I got up there and I'm looking at all these religious books. I'm looking and say, well, what, what Christian books would they have? And it's kind of neat. You know, one of my friends, Ben Stewart, his book was there. So I was like, that's cool. And I pulled it out and set it where it would be right there in front of everybody. <laughs> so I set it there. And as I walked back out, God just hit my heart with this, talking about gratitude. We will try anything else but humility before God. Anything. There's a whole section on how to be a witch. We'll try anything else than be humble before God and say, thank you. I want to walk with you. Anything else. And that's what's happening here. They negate creation. They negate gratitude. And the result ends up being sin. The result ends up being sin. 
What are the results of sin? What do you do when you put something where it's not supposed to be? When you put a human heart where it's not supposed to be? When you put a human life where it's not supposed to be? What happens when you plant flowers in asphalt? What takes place when something's in the wrong spot? How does that work? Does it prosper? Does it flourish? We have to ask these questions. And it results in sin. Here's what it says that it results in. It says at the end of verse uh, 21, instead, instead of gratitude and creation, instead, their thinking became worthless, that's not good, and their senseless hearts became darkened. We became darkened in our thinking. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They declined the word of God, and they declined the work of God. Do you see it? The word of God that I love you and care for you, Romans 1 verse 7, for the love of God, uh, for all those in Rome loved by God, Romans 2, 4, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. The creation of all the world, read Psalm 19 later today, of the creation, the heavens showing his glory. They negated the work of God, they negated the word of God, and the result of it is they became darkened in their foolishness, darkened in their sin, and they thought they were so wise, and the things are coming apart at the seams darkened in their thinking. What happens when you put something where it's not supposed to be? Mentioned that we went to Boston. It was great. Some of y'all have been journeying with us as a church for a good while now. Uh, man, thank you for being on the journey while I've been here. It's awesome. You know, you kind of tolerated my green years. Hopefully, I'll bless you in my gray years, uh, you know. But uh, we've been on a journey with my family, and you've seen my kids grow up. It's been awesome. My son and I, if you remember, if you've been here for a while, we've been on a journey to try to go to every major league baseball stadium in the, in the whole nation. So that's what we've been journeying. That's what we've been trying to do. We've been making headway every single summer. And this last weekend, we finished our goal with Fenway Park. We ended up at Fenway to see a couple games. It was awesome. Yeah, you could cheer. That's good. I'm not a hunter. I'm not a fisherman. So yeah, we had to do something. So we decided we would go and be able to do that. Let me show you just so you'll get the picture. Here's Cincinnati when we first got going. And that wasn't even one of the first ones, so that's Cincinnati. Now, let's go back to Boston and see how big he is. Look how big he is. I do want you to know I did buy a new red polo somewhere along the way. It's not the same shirt. <laughs> so we're in Boston, and we finished it, and it was wonderful, and it was a blast. And we say Fenway to the end, the granddaddy of them all. And so we got back to the hotel, and I'd been wearing my contacts. And so I got back to the hotel. So I, you know how glasses wear, folks. You know, you got to bring like all these glasses, with your prescription sunglasses, and your prescription eyeglasses. You got to do all this stuff. So I had my contacts in so I could just Ray-Ban it and no Ray-Ban it, back and forth, right? So I took it off. And so now I grab my shaving kit that I just leave to always pack at home. And I just grab it, I throw it in. I grab it, I take out my contact and I put it in the little thing. I take out contact, put it in the little thing. I reach in and I grab, there's two of these in here. And I just grabbed one. I didn't realize that I grabbed swim ear is what I grabbed. I thought I grabbed the eye one, I grabbed the ear one, okay? So I take my swim ear and I undo the cap and I put my drops, my little chemistry experiment that we all thought were so fun before we got contacts. And then I got this and I, so I put in the swim ear in there with my contacts and I'm looking, I only got one pair of contacts I brought for the whole trip. And it's just watching this thing shrivel as it shrivels. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh man, swim here. Oh. So I grabbed the other one and I, 
well, what good's a left contact without a right contact? So I take both of them and throw them in the trash, pull out my glasses, and I'm back. And when that happened, I just was reminded of what happens when you put the wrong thing on something. It doesn't clean you, it shrivels you. It doesn't bless you, it ruins you. And they became darkened, and the they is us, darkened in their thinking, and their wisdom is foolishness. You ever see things happen in our world, and you're like, I could have told you that wasn't going to work. It's foolishness. Sin brings foolishness. Darkened in their thinking, and then watch what happens next. They make an exchange. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged, I want you to, to remember that word, exchanged. We're going to see that elsewhere. Exchange the glory of the immortal God. Those are two big words. Immortal God. It's almost in, like redundant, isn't it? God is immortal. Immortal is God. Immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Interesting, man is first. Birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So there's now an exchange of heaven for earth. So the Lord's prayer is about exchanging earth for heaven, isn't it? On earth as it is in heaven, right? Give us this day our daily bread on earth as it is in heaven, that we want for your glory, your dominion, your kingdom. So that's the right exchange, earth for heaven. This is an exchange of heaven for earth. They've exchanged God for the images of, of idols, basically. So they go to idolatry and will find that idolatry to immorality is a very short step. And they lift up man, they lift up these animals. They even lift up reptiles. Isn't it interesting? They come all the way back around to lifting up a snake when the garden was the whole snake was the whole problem, right? But they're foolish. They bring it all the way back. So lifting up man, where are we today in today's society? In Western civilization, we have lifted up man to be God. So man makes the rules, man makes the decision, man makes the, the, the statements on morality or groups of men and women. I mean, by man, mankind. And why wouldn't we? We're the top of the food chain. Remember, we removed creation. There's nobody higher than us. Now, this sun, this moon, this, all this stuff and this oxygen we keep breathing. I, we sure got lucky on that. But now I'm here. And I've arrived. And so now there is man as an idol. We affirm what is okay. Therefore, pleasure, not praise, reigns. And it's a really, really bad exchange. It's a really bad exchange. Now, let me tell it to you like this. When man makes an idol, and it happens all throughout, you see religious history, people making an idol, a false god to then worship and to lift up. Let me tell you what always happens. This is what always happens. Man will never make an idol that condemns him. He'll never make an idol that condemns him. Let me go another step. Man will never make an idol or a false god that deeply challenges him morally. Man will always make an idol that can be placated, that can be appeased, so he can do his part and then get back to doing whatever he wants. Give you an illustration. 
When I was a little boy, I'd get in my mom's car and I'd be in the back seat, which was safe, but we didn't know you were supposed to buckle back then. Uh, and so we would just lay on the back, you know, I'd lay on the back thing, like waving at you, driving through the back window. I mean, just craziness, but back seat, I'm back there. And what I would do is I would sit up on the back of the seat. So like, say this is the back seat and I put my, my hands like this and I look out the back window and I'd race cars that were behind us. So I'd race the cars behind us because my mom was such a slow driver. We would lose if I raced the cars in front of us. Now, my friend, his mom was from Germany and grew up driving on the Autobahn. He would race the cars in front of him is what he would race. And he'd be like, you race the cars behind you? I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Why? Because I wanted to win. I wanted to make sure we raced the cars behind that we would win the race. That's the type of idol that man makes. We look at people behind and say, oh yeah, those are the bad people back there, not me. Oh, that's what we shouldn't do. Yeah, but it's such a low bar. That's why we try to take God out. We need an exterior, eternal, immortal source of morality to declare this is how you live life. And that's why sin begins with the negation of creation, the suppressing of truth, the lack of gratitude to be darkened in our thinking and darkened in our mind, and we end up the next thing, as you can imagine, is sexual immorality. And boy, we've made a mess of our lives with that in particular as well. There's an article written in the Washington Post opinion column talking about there's got to be something more to sex. This is not, you know, you're not going to find a devotional item in the Washington Post opinion column. This is what the lady said. She said, so what do we do now? Talking about the sexual revolution has actually harmed people. It's unlikely that we'll ever return to a society in which sexual encounters or outside of marriage are disallowed or even discouraged. That sex train has already left the fornication station, if it is, ever was properly there to begin with. But now could be the time that we should reintroduce virtues such as prudence, temperance, respect, and even love. We might pursue the theory that sex possibly has a deeper significance than just recreation and that consent might not be the only moral sensibility we need. <laughs> Amen for preaching some Bible, girl. That's why it's placed within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman because it's so, so passionate and it can get off the rails so quick. And that's what happens where it says... In this next part, I'll read to you, and then we'll wrap this whole thing up. Well, let me read it to you. Verse 24. Therefore, God delivered them over. That's going to happen three times in our study. Not today, but these coming weeks. God delivered them over in the desires of their heart to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among them, among themselves. They exchanged, there's that word I told you to remember it, exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worship and serve what had been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. So they in sin make an exchange for a lie. Wow. And sexual immorality is just a step away from idolatry of lifting man up. We'll talk more about that next week when you read in Romans chapter one. There's a list of 24 sins coming up next week. We will be an equal opportunity offender on sins, I promise. There's a lot and they made an exchange. What are the effects of sin? And then we'll wrap up. I put it in your listening guide, the effects of sin. We're still sitting on the Titanic. We're still sinking down. It's still April. 
1912, and the icy waters are beginning to come up on our torso. Ten effects of sin. See if sin sounds fun. Students, listen up. This is what you got to look forward to when you choose sin over God. Number one, heartbreaking, divine disfavor. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that should be enough. You've hurt your Savior. Divine disfavor. Guilt, physical, spiritual, and eternal death enslavement, denial of sin, self-deceit, hardened heart, seared conscience. Oh, that's so dangerous. Self-centeredness, restlessness, lack of peace, never satisfied, inability to love is number 10 from Christian theology of Erickson. The results of sin are catastrophic, like contacts to swim ear. It shrivels your heart. But here's the good news. Instead of an exchange of heaven for earth, what if we made an exchange of earth for heaven? What if there was an exchange of the sin for righteousness? What if there was an exchange for lie for truth? What if we got it right on earth as it is in heaven? Well, that's a great place because here's what happened when they radioed for help at about 12.25 a.m. on that September 15, 1912. 58 miles away, the Carpathia received the signal. And they turned their ship and they moved and started heading towards the Titanic. And as the Carpathia made its way at 2.20, the Titanic was underwater. And I want you to picture the darkness of the sea as you're sitting in your lifeboat, bobbing on a frigid night in silence. That's 2.20. And at 3.30, you see the rockets fire from the Carpathia. And at 4.10, the first lifeboat was picked up by the Carpathia, which is behind me right now. What would you feel like sitting in your Titanic lifeboat when the Carpathia shows up in the middle of the ocean? Good news only feels good when you understand the bad news. The Carpathia makes history only when the Titanic is under the water. And at 4.10, they load the first lifeboat on. And at 8.50, they're finished loading in all of the people and they load on 705 people. And how good would it feel for you and me to be sitting on the deck of the Carpathia with a blanket around our shoulders and a cup of hot soup? Would you feel saved? Would you feel rescued? Would you trade your lifeboat for a ship? Or would you say, no, I don't want to obey the Carpathia's rules. I don't want to be on the Carpathia. I don't want to be there. That's why God says three times, and he gave them over. The worst thing that God can do is to let you do your thing. C.S. Lewis put it like this. There will be two kinds of people in the world. The people who look to God and say, thy will be done, and the people whom God looks to and says, thy will be done. And when you and I turn our backs upon the Carpathia, even the lifeboat, and say, I will stay on the Titanic, then that's on you. 
Jesus Christ has stepped from heaven to earth. The Carpathias arrived at your lifeboat and my lifeboat. And here's the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 21, as we close this up. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on the cross, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Where did this whole thing start? The wrath of God is revealed against their unrighteousness and their godlessness. He has made him who knew no sin, Jesus was sinless, came to earth, died on a cross to pay for your sin and my sin so that then I could have the righteousness of God. That's the exchange. I've traded earth for heaven, my sin for his righteousness. If that wasn't good enough, then we've got 2 Corinthians uh, verse uh, 9 of chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says this, for you know the grace of God, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you may become rich. Wow, what a trade. So you're going to have good trades or bad trades. Let me give you a closing illustration of a bad trade. You've heard of Steve Jobs. He owned 45% of Apple. You've heard of Steve Wozniak. He owned 45% of Apple. But have you ever heard of Ronald Wayne? He owned 10% of Apple at the very beginning. But he got real nervous on how this thing would go. So he sold his 10% shares for $800. If he had it today, it would be worth $100 billion dollars. Supposedly, he sold the original signed contract for $1.6 million and then wasted it on gambling and ended up in poverty anyway. $800 for $100 billion. Let me tell you the gospel is that you and I show up not even with $800 and say, Lord, I got nothing. And I am going to receive from you something worth more than $100 billion. It's eternity with God that starts today with the Holy Spirit in my heart, God in my life. And then when I die, and you're going to die, and I'm going to die, I step into heaven for all of eternity. Praise Jesus, the Carpathia of the soul that has rescued you and rescued me. I got bad news Sin is real and it'll destroy your life. And I got good news, Jesus is real and he'll give you abundant life. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We trust you, God. We need to look no further, Lord, than your word, than your creation. As we walk out today and we see your sun, we see your moon tonight, we see creation. We're thankful, God, you created us and you love us. You know every hair on our head. There's something special about us. We're not a cosmic accident. We're made in your image. But Lord, we have traded away so much. We put so much swimmier in our eyes, we can't see. And we just tell you, God, we need you, Lord. We humbly come to you on behalf of our city, our state, our nation, our world, and our own hearts. May we repent of sin. Church, this week I've gotten on my knees in my house numerous times and just said, God revealed to me sin. I want to repent of sin. And I'm calling you to that today, church. 
If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, repent of your sins and trust in Jesus to save your soul. If you know Christ as your Savior and you know that you're not hitting the mark, you're intentionally aiming at other places. Repent of your sin. Let him guide your life. There is bad news, but there's good news. And the good news tastes sweeter when we realize how sour the bad news is. Congregation and digital family, would you just turn to God this moment and then we'll sing and be dismissed. Let's respond to God. What's he revealed to you? Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.